Amen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Amen. The, the, the quote feels even more appropriate this morning. Here it is. Call it, call it a clan, call it a network, call it a tribe, call it a family, whatever you call it, whoever you are, you need one. Amen? Whoever you are, we need one. Amen. I want to pick up where Braden left off and talk to you about family matters. I feel like we're already saturated in, in God's presence and prayer, so I'm just going to jump right in. Before we move on, though, three things, Ephesians, we've been talking about three things. If you're just joining us, by the way, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. We're on the last chapter. We've been going through it step by step, sometimes verse by verse, word by word. We're trying to get the most out of it, like a Hispanic eats chicken. We want to get every little piece of that thing and every little nourishment. Amen. So before we move on, three things Ephesians tell us we need to walk in. What are they? Number one, unity. Number two, holiness. Number three, amen. Unity, holiness, and love. Amen. Ephesians 5, watch what God does and then you do it. And mostly what God does is love us. He forgives us. He shows grace to us. He doesn't give up on us. He equips us. He empowers us. And he calls us to do the same. Amen. So thank you for walking through this with me. I thought by now we'd have a much smaller church, but you guys are bold, you're strong, you, you like it, amen, and, and we're, we're about the word, and it seems like, like this is a, 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 a being timely, like this is a timely word for a timely season. So we've been talking about family matters um, since last week, and we talked about those verses at the end of Ephesians 5, we talked to wives and husbands, amen. We finished Ephesians 5 last week with a serious challenge for marriages. We said marriage is our gift to us from God. The quality of our marriage is our gift to Him. Okay, this is where it starts getting quiet. Let me, let me ask a personal question. You do not have to raise your hands. Just give me the look. How many husbands and wives that were here last week had some serious blowouts this past week at home. I said, don't raise your hands. <laughs> Just give me the look. You know the look. <laughs> give me the nod. I see that nod. I see that nod. There you go. I see that nod. Why do you think that happened? First of all, husbands, if you went home at any time last week and quoted me or quoted the scripture, you heard, Pastor, submit, woman. <laughs> then whatever trouble you got in, you did that to yourself. And wives, if you went home last week and at any point quoted the scripture or quoted me, you heard, Pastor, you need to die. I don't see you laying down your life for me. I don't see you loving me like Jesus. I don't see you. Then you had it coming too. You missed the point. Amen? When we're submitting to one another, we don't have to tell anybody that we're submitting. It's obvious. When we're walking in the kind of selfless love the Bible talks about, we don't have to tell anybody, I'm loving you selflessly. It shows. Come on. So the word encourages us to walk right, to make our marriages better and stronger and safer. And listen, if we're not married, it teaches us to have a great respect for it and ultimate honor for it and to choose our relationships carefully and prayerfully. Somebody say amen. So watch this. If, if marriage from the very beginning, we said, was prophetic of the spiritual relationship between Christ and his church, if our marriages are supposed to demonstrate God's love to the world, is it any wonder that Christian marriages are always under attack? Come on, can we talk about this? 
If marriage is such a strong picture of what the church is supposed to look like, why wouldn't all hell come against it? If you can destroy marriages, you destroy churches. If you can divide marriages, you divide churches. If you can weaken marriages, you'll have weak churches. If you build churches where marriages don't matter, those churches won't matter because they'll be ineffective at modeling the relationship between Christ and the body. If you can redefine marriage, then you're altering the prophetic picture of the church and diluting its power. See, the enemy understands that if he can attack marriages, he's attacking the church. I hope for some of you this is a... See, marriages are easier to attack than the church because when you come against the church, it's easy to recognize you. But if you start taking out the leadership of a church by taking out its marriages, then you can operate right in the church and not be noticed. Husbands, wives, we give the enemy a foothold and a place in our homes and in the church when we're not working together to strengthen our marriages. That's why Ephesians 6 ends with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. But but we're not there yet. Uh, I I don't want to skip the first few verses of Ephesians 6 because uh, Paul is making a a strong case and and a point to talk to us about family matters. And so let, let, let me go there. Amen? The book has already told us we need to submit to one another. We need to live lives of submission. We need to submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. It addressed wives, submit to your husbands. It says, husbands, love your wife. Your love for your wife is the ultimate submission, laying down your life. So now it goes on to other relationships. For the kids, listen, I know we dismiss the kids, but I know there's young people in here hiding out. When the Bible talks about kids, it's talking about those under the authority of their parents. So if you're still living at home, even if you're 30, and you're, you're living at home, and then you're still, un- no, yeah. anyway, it's for those that are under the authority of their parents. So look what it says, Ephesians 6, let's, let's, let's put it up there, Ephesians uh, 6, 1, children, do what your parents tell you, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I know parents are happy right now, he's like, I wish my kids were back in the room, can, can I go get them? No, because I'm going to get on you in a minute. You, you don't want them to be, there, be here for that. Do what's right. Honor your father and your mother. And this is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so you will live well and have a long life. So young people, just like our being filled with the Spirit should make wives submit to their husbands. And, and walking in the Spirit should allow husbands to lay down their lives for their wives. You're walking. Young people, please take the... Walkman's out. That's an inside joke. Young people, just like uh, um, you're, you're being filled with the Spirit, your walking with God should manifest in your obedience to your parents. It should manifest, it should show up in us making, in you making good choices. Walking in a way that pleases the Lord, that pleases your parents because we're doing it as unto God. Amen. So, so Paul is saying, if you're going to walk with God and do what's right, then we're going to have to do what our parents tell us to do and what they expect of us. Now, this verse is not only speaking to children and young people, but it's speaking to parents as well. Can we go there? If it's saying children need to listen to what their parents tell them, then it's assuming that parents are telling the children the right thing. Truth is, we live in a time and a culture where psychologists say we can't correct our kids. We can't tell them anything. We live in a, in a time and a culture where parents are so busy and preoccupied that they're not telling their kids anything. They're not correcting their kids. I've been in places where kids are wilding out and their parents think it's cute. Like that's the third fork that kid threw at me, bro. That's not cute. 
Tell the kids something. That's the fourth cup he broke in the restaurant. Tell the kids something. It's not cute. Amen? I've been in places where, 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 man, my wife and I love to go out a lot, and so we go out a lot. We see entire families sitting around the dinner table, each connected to their own device. Connected to the whole world, but not connected to each other. See, when, when you don't bring correction to kids, they're left to figure it out for themselves. I read a, a, an article that says one of the factors that causes rage in teenagers more than any other, this was surprising to me, is having to face life without adequate direction from their parents. Exactly. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. See, when we provide guardrails for our kids, we're, we're teaching them the right way to go. When we don't, we, we fail to provide protection and direction. And God, You ever driven in like Pennsylvania or Jersey and you're at night and you go off one of the main highways and you're on one of those little roads? And it's so, it's dark and there's no, no clear lane markers and there's no guardrails. It's so easy to, to, to at any moment go off the road because if you're not paying attention, a turn comes, you go off the road, right? When, when it gets dark for our kids, when the world around them gets dark and, and they don't, you haven't put any guardrails in place, it's easy for them to get lost. It's easy for them to get off track, Amen. Now, I, I hear parents, I hear people tell me this, and I have to put my hands in my pocket so I don't punch them in the throat. But Jesus is still working on me. I hear people say, I'm going to let my kids decide religion on their own. Uh-oh. I'm not going to tell them who they have to follow or who they should pray to. Uh, I'm going to let them find that out for themselves. I think, I think man, you sound like the world. I'm going to let them make their own choices. I want them to decide. I, need, I want them to decide if, if church is a thing for them. I want them to... De- Listen, that's beautiful, but I wish Hollywood and the music industry and the movies that you sit and watch together and the music that they memorize every single lyric, I wish that they would let my kids decide for themselves too, but they won't. I wish, I wish that my kids' friends would let them decide for themselves too, but they won't. I wish that the enemy would let my kids decide on their own too, but they won't. If you know the truth, why would you not evangelize and disciple your own kids before someone else does? Listen, ultimately, you can't save them. I get it. You can't secure salvation for, you can't, we always tell parents, no, no. Parents are like, no, my kid's getting baptized. We're like, no, no, your kid's not getting baptized until your kid wants to be baptized. So we can't, we can't force them. We can't, we can't save them. We can't secure, but we have to show our kids, this is the truth that I believe. This is the truth that I stand on. And, and, and when you see young Braden up here sharing and praying and, and sharing, then, then you see the effect of that. Amen? We have to, it, it, we have to tell our, our, our kids, our young people, even when they're small, this is the truth that I've found. And listen, I encourage you to investigate. I dare you to study it. I challenge you to research it for yourself. You're free to ask all the questions you can ask. Try it, test it, but this is the truth that I've found. Amen? Personally, I can say that because nobody brought this to me. I I didn't grow up with this. I had to find it the hard way. And I don't want my kids or your kids to be spiritually lost, wandering, searching for higher consciousness as they're doing yoga in school. And as they're teaching all this kind of craziness in school. And as they removed everything but, but, they removed everything, God, and left everything else in school. So I don't want them searching for higher consciousness in every stream. I I, I could tell my kids, I walked in the darkness for you. I, I tested and tried other avenues and other gods for you. I tried to live without him for you. 
But I'm older and I'm wiser now. And I have experiences that I don't want you to ever have. So test me in this. Until you can prove it or prove otherwise, trust me in this. And follow me in this. Until you can figure it out for yourself. Amen? But I won't let Kanye or Beyonce or Drake or Wayne or every other mind control maniac to disciple you while I stand back and do nothing. Can we talk about family matters today? Joshua told the Israelites who had started serving other people's gods, he said, listen, choose for yourselves today whom you're going to serve. If it's the God of your fathers or if it's, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. The word says, train up a child in the way he should go. That's put it in work. That's, those are words. That's, that's train them up means feed them to maturity. Feed them until maturity. The, the other thing that's assumed here in this passage when it says children obey your parents is that parents are actually living what they're saying. Yeah, don't, don't look at your teenagers' faces right now. Sometimes we can make it really hard for our kids to honor us as parents because we say one thing and we live another. Parents, we're not perfect, but we have to walk different. Amen? We're going to make mistakes, but we have to own them when we make them. I was talking about this the other day with somebody, one of my I used to be one of those real angry Hispanics that would put a, put a, a fist through sheetrock. I never hit anybody, you know, at home or nothing, but I'd put a fist through sheetrock on any given day. You understand? Don't judge me. And um, I had punched many a hole through sheetrock. One day, one of my daughters, they were in teen mode, and um, took me past the edge. And, and I, I picked the cement wall in their room to punch through in my anger. You know what happens when you punch a cement wall? With all your might, absolutely nothing. The wall just stays. And the repercussions feel like your pancreas is going to explode. And that day, my anger scared my daughter, and it scared me. And later on, I had to go and repent and apologize for losing control, for not being the man that God called me to be. That apology broke the curse that had been handed down to me. And I never, ever did it again. My kids are here as a witness. You can ask them. I never ever did it again. I'll, I'll, leave that, I'll leave that alone. Verse 4, let's move on. Verse 4, Paul addresses fathers. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. Again, this is assuming that the word is assuming that fathers are even there. Because that's where they should be, amen? As the head of the family, as the one responsible, the one that's teaching and living and instructing them with his life. Paul addresses the fathers, but listen, as parents, we can all receive this. Sometimes as parents, it can be so hard, we can be so hard and demanding that we exasperate our kids. We enrage our kids. Another version says, fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Listen, this is tough, and you probably thought, man, this is not what I, I expected to hear in church today. But if it's in the Word, we should talk about it. Amen? If you've been here long enough, you know you're not going to just come in here, oh, God loves you, God loves you, okay, let's pray and go home. You're a good person. We're going to talk about what the Word says, and, and if it 
And if it hurts, if it offends, if it steps on your toes, if it whatever, you know, there's other churches. Amen. But we're going to be about what God is about. Amen. Thank you for, for, uh, for loving me through it. So in, in business and leadership and counseling, we try to practice this model. If you're going to bring criticism, if you're going to bring correction, bring two affirmations with it. How many of you have been, been taught that, right? You've heard that in, in other places. We don't really do that with our kids, though, do we? The word is saying that that's probably a good practice. If you're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong, encourage me by telling me what I got right. Right? So, pa- Papito, I love you, man. You're a smart kid, one. You don't usually do things like this, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you, that you thought about this before you went, you know, before you did the other thing, too. But that was a bonehead thing to do. And, and, and you're going to be punished for that. And there's going to be consequences. Right? But you see, encouragement, encouragement, correction. Amen? Because if all we do is critique and, and, and beat them down, if all you do is yell and punch walls, and then, then you, the kid is going to get frustrated. He's going to get exasperated. And eventually, he'll just have to block you out for the next 4 to 15 years until he finds out maybe later on that you were right about these things. But right now, it's feeling like abuse. Can we talk about it? So the same way God says to us, watch what I do, and then you do it. And and what he does is he loves us, and he forgives us. He corrects us, though. Amen? There is correction, but we have to learn how to correct compassionately, like God does. Doesn't God correct us compassionately? Right? Isn't there sometimes when you're, I don't know about you, but when, when, this, when you're in a place and this, this, the Spirit of God is moving in worship and there's prophetic people in the house, don't you get nervous sometimes God's going to shout your stuff out? You're there sitting with your wife or your husband faking it, and you think any minute, God knows, God knows, God knows what I called her, God knows what I said, God knows what we said in the car, oh my God, oh my God, there comes Lee walking over to us in the corner, oh, she's going to blow it up, she's going to blow it up. Oh, oh, man, Josh is looking at me. Josh is looking at me. Josh is looking at me. He knows. He knows. Pastor Gary just turned his face from me. I know that he knows. God, God just showed him. God just showed him what I did. I know. But, but God doesn't do that, amen? God doesn't do that. Anytime you've been scared of that, he hasn't done it, right? In, in, in the opposite, he'll, he'll I, I don't know about you, but this happens to me all the time. In the opposite, when I'm scared, he's going to blow me up. He covers me. He says, I know how you're feeling. I still love you. You can do better than that. But I love you. And, and there's new. My mercy is new every morning. And there's new grace for you today. And there's fresh grace for you today. God, now go and do something different with that. Go work that differently next time. Amen? And all of a sudden I feel covered. Not like I got away with it. Because it's like, yeah, you saw it. Yeah, you know. But you covered me. See, what we give to God, he covers. What we hold in, he exposes. What's done in secret will be found out. Amen? So we need to learn how to correct, but correct compassionately. Single people, you still with me? Listen, you're getting marriage classes, parenting classes. You're getting a degree in family matters right now. Maybe God's setting some of you up for the next level. Come on. The next relationship Paul addresses, this one's Ephesians 6.5. You can put that up there, Ephesians 6.5. It says, servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters. Some versions say bond servants. Some versions say servants. Some say slaves. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters. Now, we can apply that to our lives and we can take it in context and make it useful. We can see that this is the relationship that between our boss and our employers and, and we can apply it to workers and employees. And, you know, that God is calling us to be respectful over those in charge of us and those in authority. But I think that, would, that route would just be playing it safe and it would be missing a valuable teaching moment. Can, can we 
Can we explore this for a minute? Why does Paul and even Jesus talk about slavery without outright attacking it? Anybody ever ask that? Or People read this and, and those verses and they quote Paul and Jesus and they say, the Bible seems to condone slavery. Why should I listen to anything else it says? Well, let's, let's, let's look at it a minute because it's a good argument. Amen? First, let's put it in context. The culture and society that Paul is addressing at this time is a culture where only men mattered. So we have to get that in our mindset. Only men mattered. Only men had rights. They were the only ones with rights. So women, children, and slaves had almost the same social standing in this culture. Women, children, and slaves are almost at the same level. They have no rights. They don't matter. A man could divorce his wife by changing his Facebook status back then. He could just say, change it to signal, the wife single, the wife will get a message, they'll were divorced. Just like that. He could just write her, I know there's no Facebook, but you understand what I'm saying. He could just write her a letter and say, we're divorced, get out of here, I'm done with you, be gone. He could do the same thing with his kids, he could write them off, he could sell them into slavery, he could actually, in society, could have them killed because they were disobedient. And no one would question. That's the rights. That's where, where women, children, and slaves. Now, slaves were just tools. Women were property. Children were, were things that they had. And slaves were tools. So they were even less. But now, you, you have to gonna get the mindset that you have, that we have in our mindset. This is not the pre-Civil War slavery. This is not the slavery where people were taken, were stolen and, 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 and taken from Africa and Asia and sold to plantations and farms because of the color of their skin. This is not race-based slavery that we're talking about here. These slaves came from battles that they won and took the enemy as prisoners. So these slaves were, were multicultural. And a lot of these slaves, probably most of them, came through debt. The Bible says the borrower is a slave to the lender. Right? So these were bond servants. Most of these people were bond servants. It's a debtor. When a debtor owed something to someone and they couldn't pay it off, they sold themselves into slavery. They sold themselves. They weren't taken. They sold themselves into slavery to pay off that debt. Many people in that time just sold themselves into slavery to, to have things for their family that they could have. So you see, there's a different mindset of slavery that we need to kind of see addressed first before we even move on. So when the Bible talks about slavery, it's not referring to race-based slavery that we understand, even though many racist groups today will actually quote Scripture and justify their racism. That's not what the Word says. That kind of slavery was actually prohibited in the Mosaic Law. Men stealing and kidnapping and enslaving, Exodus 21. That kind of, of slavery, God listed slave traders among the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy. So the Bible's not condoning slavery. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 7.21, he says this when he was talking to people that, that are coming to the church and they're getting saved. And he says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it concern you. But if you can gain, gain your freedom, take the opportunity. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's free man. And conversely, he who was a free man when he was called is now Christ's slave. So what Jesus taught about a person standing in the kingdom of God turned the value system of that society upside down. He taught that greatness was not to be measured in terms of being served, but in terms of being a servant. See, so Jesus came to redefine the vernacular. He came to change, the, that's just fancy for saying he came to flip the script. You, you think that servant is the lowest and master is the highest. He said, I'm the Lord and master and I came to serve. Come on. So, so, so now at, at the time that, that Paul is writing to Ephesus, the, the Roman kingdom had reached this level of laziness and prestige that, that the writers of that time will tell us that one third of the population were slaves. One 
third. That means in Rome there were millions of slaves. They were using slaves for everything and anything. Not what we think about. Everything from cleaning to secretaries to administration to doctors were slaves. Mind you, he's writing to slaves, slaves that we understand couldn't read. These can because they're professionals. These are people that were indebted and now sold themselves into slavery. Do you, you, you understand the difference? Okay? So the entire Roman government and structure rested on these bond servants. It, the whole country ran on these slaves. They ran everything. So if anyone was ever heard enticing or encouraging slaves to stop serving, they would have been crushed, silenced immediately because you're upsetting our system. So what happens? The gospel comes and finds slavery in the world, right? They get to Rome and they find slavery there. But Christians were such an insignificant group in the Roman Empire during the first century, they were politically powerless. So if they spoke against it outright, they would have been silenced immediately and never had the opportunity to teach and to testify and to disciple the people. And if you can't teach and disciple someone, you can't equip and empower them to change what's around them and to rise above the situations that they're in. Are you following me? So I think God has always called his followers in this sin-sick world to fix what's broken and to break what's fixed. Get, get this, get this, get this. See, slavery was a fixed way of life in that time. So, so this is what they had been doing for a long time. They had never saw any end of it in sight. And for those in power, it worked for them. And for those that needed a way to pay off debt, it worked for them. This was the bankruptcy system of that time. Right? Today we file bankruptcies. Oh, that's it. Pay off all my And this was the bankruptcy system. Say, listen, I can't pay this back. All right, you work for seven years. Pay this off. So Paul does, of course, things get perverted and things get bad and things go south and, you know. So Paul does as Jesus did regarding slavery as a fixed way of life. He said, let's break it from the inside. Let's break what's fixed, the system, while we fix what's broken, the people. If we look at Ephesians here, we see that Paul first addressed those that had no cultural rights or power. He addresses wives, children, and slaves. But then he addresses those in power, husbands, parents, and slave owners. So what the gospel began at once to do was to undermine the prevalent practice with its principles of equality for all people. He's, he's saying the equal work of God's redeeming love is for everyone. So Paul was hardly endorsing the Roman system of slavery. What Paul was saying here in Ephesians, in Rome, it was revolutionary. Because he was, instead of attacking inequality from the inside and going on, he was, he was doing it from the inside instead of going it on, going head on into it. The plan was not to batter, but to undermine the system. When you start to take out the foundation, when you start to undermine a system, eventually it collapses. Paul was saying, we all get the same spirit. We all have the same master. He tells slaves in Ephesians 6, do a good job as unto the Lord, because when we work that way, he's the one that we're serving. And he says in verse 8, good work will get your good pay from the master, regardless of whether you're slave or free. That's for you and me today at our jobs. He said, oh, I don't go there. I hate that boss. Don't go there. I hate the people I work for. But what, what God is saying is no matter what happens, if we do our work as unto the Lord, we're serving Him. And good work will get you good pay from the Master, whether you're slave or free. Amen? And then He tells masters there, this is where He can get bold. He tells masters there, it's the same with you, it says in, in Ephesians. No abuse and no threats. Stop that nonsense. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. So Paul is telling the slave master and the slave, you're no better than him, so stop it. You all serve the same master. So, so while it looks like the gospel left slavery alone and didn't touch it, it really 
destroyed it from the inside. Come on. He tells the Corinthians, by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink one spirit. He tells the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Do you understand how revolutionary that is? That's not the culture. That's not what they believe. That's not what they're used to. He was fixing what was broken and breaking what was fixed. Eventually, it was Christianity that brought down slavery in that society. And in the society to come, and in the next society to come. And and in our society, it should still be the church that's breaking fixed systems. Come on. Because this hasn't gone away. Slavery hasn't gone away. We're, we're selling kids into, into slavery. We're trafficking kids. Trafficking. Slavery's gotten worse. It's just, it has to be done differently, but it's gotten worse. So the church should still be, eventually, the church should still be the one that challenges the fixed systems of our time. It should be us that make a difference, that stand with the powerless, that loves like God loves, that fixes what's broken. Amen? Worship team, come, come. Let's celebrate because it should, it should be the church whose, whose love is, is noticeably different. Who doesn't give it in order to get. Amen? And so this small movement, let, let, look at history now. This small movement of believers who were politically powerless undermined and overthrew the entire governments. And change cultures that have been fixed for years. Church, what are we doing? What have we been equipped to take on? If we could only and finally learn to be one body. See, the enemy's distracted us for so long by having us fight each other. That if you guys keep fighting each other. If we keep saying, oh, I got pissed off at that church, so I go to this church now. And, oh, I stopped going to that church because I left. Oh, I don't go there anymore because this. And, and if we keep on, if you could keep on fighting each other, then we won't fight nothing else that we should be fighting. Amen? And that's historically the church of this century. We're not fighting what matters because we're not walking in unity, holiness. Amen? And love. In, in, in the Gospel of Mark, I love this picture. Jesus walked into a synagogue. And they normally read, read the scriptures out loud, and that's what they do. You go, they read the scriptures, and you pray. And so Jesus went in, and he turned to the Old Testament in Isaiah where it says, uh, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He, he read this Old Testament scripture and then he dropped it and he said, that's me. And he walked out. What would happen, church, if we read the passage, if we read scripture, if we heard a message and we said, that's me, and walk out? What would happen, young people? If you read the word, if you heard the word and you say, that's me, and walked out and lived that way. Singles, married, what would happen? Man, let's celebrate, let's celebrate. Join us for, join us for baptism tonight. And if you, if you're here today and you're saying that's me, join us. Join us for baptism. I don't, I don't care where you came from. I don't care what membership you have or don't have. If you're saying, God, I want to follow you. God, that's me. Then we welcome you. Come. We'll, we'll tell you about baptism real quick. There's a, 
there's a, a, a little thing after service today that you can find out, ask some questions, find out about baptism, find out if you need to do that. And we'll make that available, and I can't wait to get in the water to watch people go in old and come up new. Amen. Today. Amen. Amen. It's just, there's no, understand, there's no magic in that water. That's not special water. That water hasn't been blessed. The water will probably be cold. It's nothing to do with the water. It's nothing to do with the tank. It's an outright picture. We're saying, my old man is going in, and I'm going to drown him. Some of you, if your, your spouses usually give me a little extra tip on the side to keep you longer. Just long enough. Amen. For the old man to die and the new man to come out alive. Amen. So, so come join us tonight. We're excited. Let's celebrate. Come on. Amen. Amen. Let's just stand to our feet, family. I want to do something today, being that uh, the title of this called Family Matters, and that it is uh, Children of Ministry Day. We have, uh, we have a, a young worshiper here that, if you ever saw him, man, this guy will put you to shame in his worship, you know? Some adults can't even worship as hard as this young man. Rick, can you bring your son up here? a gift and it's been like it's been about a month ago and we've been trying to get this young man <laughs> uh, yeah no set we're gonna set it up right now <laughs> this is his time all right we're gonna give him his own mic I want to set him up we're gonna worship you already see he's ready to go Come on, just set that up for him. You guys taking too long. Give me this. <laughs> you ready, David? He's ready. Come on. Somebody say, say, heaven thundered and the world was born. Oh 
But I know, I know his favorite song. Doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be your promises to me. So I'm of fear, for your love has set me free. My hope will always be, come on, your promises to me. Doesn't, doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear, for your love has set me free, my hope will always be your promises to me. Come on. Yes, yes. Oh, Holy Father, we worship you. We worship you, Lord. Oh, yes. We honor you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. Yes. See, there's a, there's a, there's a joy comes all things man and there's a spirit that lives with, with within us that 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 it's so connected to God it, 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 it you can't be in the presence of God and not be moved some of us get so caught up in the craziness that we can't connect but I brought him here today to see that there's a spirit within him that's alive and that's longing to worship God and sometimes I need his example to be able to see God you know while we fighting while we bickering while we got odds and this and that and I got this against him whatever I just need his example to know that God is real. And then everything else don't make, it, it don't matter no more. So I'm not exploiting them, but I'm just bringing to the reality that even as a children, you know, that's how God longs for us to be. Because even with children, they play together, they get together, <laughs> they learn everything else from us adults you know whether it's racism they learn that from us so God is saying this is what I'm looking for a heart a heart of unity a heart of worship where it doesn't matter what you feel what you see but your hope is always in him and I just need that every now and then so thank you Rick you named him David because I believe he is a David in his house. And as long as I'm here in this place, in this position, he's always welcome to worship with us here on this stage, man. So this is what we wanted to give him. Let me get that. He can take this home. This is yours. You can take that home with you. All right? <laughs> All right. The other mic, we'll leave it here for him, though. We'll, we'll hold on to that one. <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> there we go. See? Let me just release you guys. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that your Father, that we're receiving your word, Father. We're receiving your directions, Father. We see the guardrails, Father, and we're careful to stay on the road that is lit, oh God, Father. But even sometimes when we rear off into the dark area, you light a path for us, oh God, and we choose to follow you, Lord. 
So, Father, be a light unto our path today and forever, God. Show us what it is to be like you. Show what it is to love like you. Show, show us what it is to move like you, Lord God. Father, we're, we are your bondservants, oh God. And our desire is to do your will, oh God. And you have blessed us to just be a blessing to others, oh God. You are blessed. Continue to be a blessing. Have a wonderful week. Amen, amen, amen.